What a, what a wonderful day in the Lord's house we've had. Psalm 140 uh, says this, Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man, which imagine mischiefs in their heart. Continually are they gathered together for war. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. Selah. Uh, keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who have purposed to overthrow my goings. The proud have hid a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set gins for me. Selah. Uh, I said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, thou hast covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Further not uh, his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves, Selah. Uh, as for the head of those that can pass me about, let mischief of their own lips cover them. Let burning coals uh, fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Let not an evil speaker be established in the earth. Evil shall hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me tonight. Uh, open up our ears and our hearts, Lord, to what your word has for us. Lord, help us to, to guide us, to challenge us, to edify us tonight. Lord, that you'd help me to preach and help us to listen. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Lord, help us to apply it. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. So we, don't, we know it's a psalm of David. We don't know when it occurred. Some of those psalms tell you when, and this is not one of them uh, that really tells us when. But we see uh, that he is uh, under attack from the enemy, which is no surprise. Uh, that's where David found himself oftentimes in the scriptures. He was on the run from Saul. He was on the run from Absalom. Uh, but in this psalm, I think it's a little different. Uh, not in the beginning. At the beginning, couple verses. Deliver me, O Lord, from the evil man. Preserve me from the violent man, which imagine mischiefs in their heart. Continually are they gathered together for war. Uh, so he calls them the evil men, the violent man, uh, and that they're imagining this mischief. And that, uh, again, this doesn't really narrow it down. I mean, it could fit the Philistines. It could fit a single person, a group of people uh, until you get to verse three. And I think verse three is where it kind of sets this psalm apart when it comes to enemies. He says they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips. Selah. So uh, David's faced enemies before. Remember, he's faced a giant and Goliath. He's faced uh, armies. And uh, a lot of times what they did was they would put out large uh, forces, right? And in those days... <clears throat> Uh, you would get your troops ready, they would get their troops ready, and you could take a glance across the two areas and you could see pretty quickly uh, if they're five times bigger than you, you might want to think about a peace treaty, right? I mean, that that's what they would do in those days. Or uh, if you're the children of Israel, you better be putting your faith and trust in the Lord uh, or running away scared. That's what we see. Uh, so this happened over and over again. Uh, and David's praying to the Lord for help and for deliverance, 
which we've seen again many times. Uh, but the evil man that uh, David is talking about, and the end of verse 3 has that Selah telling us to stop and think about it, stop and meditate on it. Uh, he is talking about an enemy that's fighting not with the forces, not with the sword or anything else or a spear, but fighting with words. And then as you start to think about it, I think that's where this takes this psalm in a little bit different direction because you and I don't face uh, the, the guys in shields and swords and everything else. But I'll tell you what, we face enemies that attack us with their tongues. Amen. We face enemies that say things against us. And, uh, and he, uh, you think about the, the way that the Bible describes the tongue in verse 3 is almost like a literal sword, like the poison of a poisonous snake. And you think about it. You know, we, uh, David faced a lot of battles. Again, he faced an angry king. He faced rebellion from his son. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, those poisonous snakes, right? What do they, they try to do? They try to uh, bite you and try to get that poison into you. Uh, and those words are the same thing. They're trying to get those words in your mind and in your head uh, to try to get us off track. Amen. Try to get us to quit. Try to get us to uh, lash back out in anger or something like that. But here's the enemy that David's facing, the enemy that's using their tongue. So David's praying, and here's his prayer in verse 4 and 5 as part of it. We see he says, keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent man who have purposed to overthrow my goings. The proud have hit a snare for me in cords, and they have spread a net by the wayside, and they have set gins for me, Selah. So again, another section to stop and think about. So he started his prayer with deliver me, right? That's how the, uh, it started in verse 1. He's saying, get me out of this, right? And if the Lord doesn't get you out of it right away, because usually that's our first request, right? Lord, get me out of this. And then if you're not going to get me out of it right now when I want to, now preserve me, right? Protect me. Then verse 4, he says to keep me, put a hedge around me, right? And here's the thing. I was thinking about my own life. If someone is trying to break in literally to the door of my house, we're praying, right? And probably grabbing a gun, but we're praying, right? We are, we are the Lord help, call 911, all those different things. But how often when we're facing an enemy that's attacking us with words, do we think about prayer, right? Sometimes, somehow we see the, uh, the threat as different and some, we don't always see the danger in it. But uh, the enemy can uh, really attack with words as well. And that's what we're seeing. Are we also praying before we respond to those attacks? Especially today. My goodness, we don't even have to talk face to face uh, or even over the phone or anything. It can be texting and social media and everything else that uh, has run rampant where people can hide behind things and, and say things that they wouldn't say when they're together. And then the problem is that communication can be instant, both coming in and going back. Are we praying before we respond? You know what the enemy wants to do? Same thing he's always wanted to do. He wants to destroy our testimony, doesn't he? He wants to destroy our character. He wants this world to look at us uh, in a different way and say, now, wait a second. Uh, if, if you are saved or if you're a pastor or you're a preacher that's, that you say you are, why are you talking this way? Why are you saying these things? And we shouldn't be surprised either because they did this to Jesus too. They did the same thing. 
In fact, before, remember when they were asking, they showed him that uh, denarii, I believe, and they said, hey, is it lawful to give this tribute to Caesar or not? They were trying to, you, you know what Matthew twenty-two fifteen says right before that, it says, then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Right? They were trying to trap him. They, if he said the wrong thing, they would deliver him to the Romans ahead of time for treason. But here's the, here's the thing. We're not uh, like Jesus. We're not being delivered up probably to the governors or anything like that. But they are trying to trip us up. And that's verse 5. A, a snare, right? A trap, cords to tie you up, a net to trap you, a gin again to trap you. These are all words and descriptions of the same thing. And again, we're talking about words here. Trying to lay a trap for us. James chapter 3, if you've never read it, it's a hard chapter to read. Verse 5 and 6, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. Verse 8, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. There we see it again, right? Our tongues are dangerous, right? What we say is important and we have to be careful. And the enemy is speaking wickedly against us or about us. And here's the thing. We look at verse 8 of James chapter 3 and we say, well, Mike, we, I, the Bible says I can't tame my tongue, right? No man can tame it. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We just did that in Sunday school. Romans 6.1. God forbid. Right? We cannot use verse 8 as an excuse. Because you know what verse 8 is telling us? But the tongue can no man tame. What's that mean? Well, it's impossible for you to do it yourself. But hey... What do we need to do? We need to do what David was doing. David was realizing, he's saying, hey, the attack is coming from my enemy verbally. They're attacking me with their tongue. Their poison is spewing out. They're trying to trap me. And since I can't tame my own tongue myself, instead of just responding the way I want to, I'm going to go to the Lord. Amen. That's what he's doing. I'm going to take it to the Lord and pray. And I believe... That some of the ways where he's saying to keep me and to preserve me and these different things that he's asking for in this prayer is uh, a lot of times we just automatically think, well, it's uh, keep me from the physical uh, attack. But I believe it's keep my tongue from saying something that the enemy will be able to use against me. So he's praying for himself. Again, that I said, we don't always do that when we're verbally attacked. And, and here's the thing. We don't always have time for a big, long prayer, but we don't need a big, long prayer. We just say, Lord, help me right now. Yeah. Right? We've got to call on a higher power. Lord, help me to not to say something that will hurt your name. Right? We can say things. We can put things on social media. And if you haven't realized it in this uh, culture, in this society today, people have put a post that took them, you know, a minute to write that has caused 
immense amount of trouble, right? People have lost careers. Uh, uh, you know, people have been put in prison, everything else. Corporations have lost billions of dollars from single tweets, right? This is what happens in today's day and age. We, I don't want to say something that would hurt this church. Amen? I don't want to say something that would hurt the name of Jesus Christ. I don't want to do that. He saved me. And if we can't tame our own tongues, we've got to call for help. And even more when we're under attack. Verse 8, grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked, further not his wicked device, lest they exalt themselves. Selah. David prayed for himself first. Then in the next section, he starts praying that the Lord would silence the tongue of his enemy. Guess what? You and I can't do that. We think we can, right? We think we can out-argue the other person. We can say something so profound, or we can write something on, on Facebook that's so profound, the other person will drop all their convictions and say, you know what, you're right, I was a complete dummy. No, that never happens. It just adds another log on the fire, and, and it gets worse, right? Isn't that what we see? Every reply gets worse and more uh, vicious and everything else. Lord, silence my tongue first, help my tongue, then help the enemy's tongue. Further not as wicked device. Again, another sila here. That verbal trap, he wanted the enemy. He's saying, hey, don't let it work. Lord, prevent that trap from me falling into it. And don't let the enemy slander me so that they can exalt themselves to reproach, Right? And here's the thing. At first, you can think that David is just saying this, uh, you know, to, to kind of bash his enemy. But really, I was thinking about this. He's saying, hey, don't let the enemy talk against me. Don't let them further their wicked device because it, it will cause the enemy to exalt themselves. I believe David actually cared about his enemy because we know, saw, or I'm sorry, Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you are praying that your enemy is not exalted, you're helping them from going and falling into destruction they don't even realize is coming. That's what he's saying. Before they destroy themselves with their own pride, Lord, humble them, convict them, touch their heart. Because a lot of times they're taking vengeance on us. They're going against us, not because of us, but because who we stand for, Jesus Christ. The more we live righteously, the more we live biblically, the more the attacks come. And most of the time in our day and age, it's verbal. It's written down. Give them space to repent, Lord. Now, I read verses 9 through 11, and it's talking about bringing wickedness upon our enemies. But uh, in, I believe as, the, as we're in the New Testament, or we're in the New Covenant, or we're, the, we're the church. I don't believe we're to be praying prayers like that. Uh, the Lord will take care of the wicked, but we should not be excited about seeing the wicked go to hell. The Lord is, he, he doesn't want it. His will is for all to, none to go to hell. He wants all to be saved uh, and we should feel the same way. That's why I said, uh, whenever you hit those parts in these Old Testament uh, prayers or Psalms, we can flip it around and say, Lord, convict their heart. Even my enemy, convict their heart, Lord. Because I believe the greatest thing the Lord can do is to touch the heart of an enemy and they end up coming to know Jesus Christ. And then the one that was an enemy is now a brother. Yeah. Because we've been there too, haven't we? Amen. Amen. Verse 12. I know 
that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and the right of the poor. He's ending his prayer now. He has already given out his request, his supplications. Lord, help my tongue. Lord, prevent the enemy uh, from their traps, their wickedness, uh, and everything else. And now we see David's confidence in the Lord. Now he is confidently, right? He doesn't say in verse 12, I hope that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted, or maybe the Lord will maintain it. No, he says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted. You know what that tells me? The Lord is not going to abandon his children. Amen? Amen? And we can stand here, and I hope every one of us can say the same thing. The Lord, I know that the Lord is going to take care of me. I know that the Lord's going to take care of you and this church. He's going to take care of all of us because he always has. And the more we undergo per persecution, the more we undergo affliction, the more the Lord is there to help us. Right? He gives us extra grace, extra strength, extra wisdom to continue on. And I tell you what, I'll be the first to admit, when it comes to the tongue and the verbal attacks, there's been uh, a handful that I can remember very clearly that I wanted to say something. And if I would have said what I wanted to say, it would have been a disaster. Now, I'm not saying it's always worked out that way. There are, I don't know about you, but there are things that I said I, I, at least probably about 10 years ago that I still think about and would give anything if I could just take back the one sentence. Yeah. Right? Amen. But aren't you glad that there have been times that the Lord has helped the Lord's intervened. The Lord, I have called out, and I remember a couple times, even in this church, where it's just a quick prayer in my head. Lord, I don't know what to say. Lord, you've got to help me. Yeah. I don't know what to do. You've got to help me. And he has. The Lord's good. Amen. He maintains the cause. He will help us. He won't abandon us. He will hear our cries. Now, our prayers may not be answered in the time frame we want, right, which is immediate. I, we want it now. Or uh, here's the, I, I'm good at this. I tell the Lord, I need it fixed this way, right? Not only do I need it now, but Lord, I need you to do it this way as if, he, as if I'm forgetting that he doesn't have a better plan many times. But if we're ever persecuted for righteousness sake or for the sake of the gospel or because we're standing on the truth of scripture, the Lord hears it. He sees us, and he's there to help. Then look at 13, the end of his prayer. Surely the righteous shall give thanks unto thy name. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. I believe that there's two parts here. The beginning, he's saying, surely the righteous shall give thanks to thy name. At any point in the present, we can give thanks to the Lord. Even when the enemy is coming against us, even when the slander is coming against, whatever you want to call it, uh, those uh, verbal attacks, even when they're coming at us, we can give thanks to the Lord. Because just like when the armies were standing there sizing up the bigger one, the smaller one, uh, and them saying, you know what, although the enemy is bigger, we've got the Lord on our side, let's go. The same faith that it took for them to be able to go into a battle, even with a greater foe, is the same faith that you and I can trust the Lord and say, you know what, I want to lash back out, but that's not the best way. I, I want to, I can't tame my tongue, but I can call 
upon the Lord that created this tongue and he can help me and he can fight the battles for me. And I, I should have put it in here, but there in Exodus, uh, the verse that Brooke loves that says, hey, basically, if you hold your peace, the Lord will fight for you. That is true. I've seen it time and time again. If we would just do that, we could give thanks to the Lord right now because, Lord, it doesn't look good. Lord, uh, uh, if people hear what they're saying, they're going to uh, look bad on me. We're always, uh, I, I, we're always looking at the worst case scenario, but many times uh, we forget that if we have lived a life of uh, uh, righteousness, we've lived a life of truth, and people out here see it, they hear something about us, and a lot of them will be like, that's not the person I know. I'm glad the Lord delivers. I'm glad he helps. But the last part of the verse I really like. The upright shall dwell in thy presence. That's future. Amen. The trial is temporary and was present for David. He's saying, I'm giving thanks now. And one of the greatest things I'm going to give thanks for is what hasn't even happened. The fact that we're going to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. David's one of those that repeats that over and over again, right? Uh, he, he's saying, hey, I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now. But I'm telling you, one day I'm going to be in his presence. Not for a little while, but forever. And I say praise God for that. That's comforting words. But in the trial, we need 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. He's saying the benefits of eternal life, the benefits of being with Jesus will far exceed our small trials. It's hard to think about when we're going through it, but his glory will exceed it all and one day we're going to be delivered from all enemies amen? amen the devil the accuser the brethren we're going to be delivered from him delivered from our flesh delivered from the tongue that we can't tame and we can thank the lord about that today what's the takeaway one of the verses i was thinking of in james that's probably the most popular from james 3 is verse 10 out of the same mouth Proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. We can't speak blessings and testimonies and everything else while we're lashing back out with cursings and everything. Now again, we will never speak perfectly. And it's a balance, right? We say it many times. Uh, on one end, you could say, well, I'm never going to be perfect with my tongue, so who cares what I say? And the people, uh, you know these people because they'll say this, I'm just this way, I just speak my mind, right? You meet a lot of people that way, right? I just speak my mind. And once they say that, they're saying, I'm never going to be careful about what I say. A Christian can't just speak their mind. Right. Yeah. But then on the flip side... You've got, the, you've got the opposite where you're thinking, well, uh, I, I, I'm just, I've said everything wrong. I've never done anything right. I'm beating yourself up uh, you know, for everything. And it's got to be in the middle. We've got to work at it. We've got to pray about it. We've got to be careful. And a lot of times it's just slowing down and maybe typing it out but not hitting the button that actually posts it or sends it or whatever. When we speak blessings, encouragement, truth, good things, we edify. Or are we speaking vain words, evil things, lies, anger, gossip, all of those things? It's one thing to take away and to think about in your life. And we will encounter more enemies that set verbal traps for us 
And I think the biggest takeaway is doing what David did. Pray. Amen. Pray. Right? Oh, you can start with deliver me. But make sure you say keep me, help me. Guard my tongue. Let me not fall into that trap. And I'll, Lord, I'll thank you for it. And remember that this may be one of the last times before we're together forever. Amen.